One of the things that's been happening in this pandemic is that people have been trying to buy a dog, believe it or not, because a lot of lonely people, of course, being locked down on their own, want some companionship. And my son has gone out and bought himself a dog. Uh, and it wasn't as easy as you might have th thought. He, he lives in central London in an apartment several floors up. And so in order to purchase the dog, he had to go and get a new house because the house needed a bit of a garden and also the apartment wouldn't permit animals. So there you go. Uh, some people will go to great lengths. And when he got this little puppy, uh, he had to wait quite a long time for it. He had a little diamond, white diamond, on his uh, forehead. And that, of course, as you know, if you're a scientist, is a rhombus. And guess what he called the dog? Yes, rhombus. I phoned him the other day, and so we were on the phone, and uh, he, was, he lives near Hampstead Heath now, so he was walking around, and we were chatting away. And then all of a sudden, he started shouting at me on the phone, stop, don't do that, behave yourself. And I thought, what? And uh, then he said, rhombus, get out of there, stop eating that. Uh, you can see the fun that it must be. And uh, be fair, I prefer a little cat flap, and the cat can go out, do its business, and that's it. Apparently, the dogs aren't quite the same. They take a bit of training. And you can train a dog to sit, stay, walk, do things. But you can enjoy companionship. It can only go so far. And I'm sure that as an engineer, if he sat that dog in his lap and then started to explain a few things, like the second law of thermodynamics, and um, he tried to explain how entropy works to it, I think the dog might find the word stop and stay a bit more friendly and easy. And I hope that gives an illustration of what we're going to look at, because we're going to examine this morning what the Bible says about the very nature and character of the God of this creation. Uh, Augustine said these words, if you can understand it, it's not God. <laughs> and I hope you get the, the, the thing that human brains and human language can go so far, but then they stop. Do you know that the Eskimos have something like several hundred words for the simple word snow? In other words, the language reflects the environment and the things you can see, touch, and feel, but it cannot deal with some of the mightiest concepts. Now look, God is big. I don't think that's adequate. God is very big. <laughs> I think that's, God is immense. He's awesome. And none of those phrases can properly describe how big, how enormous, how immense, how powerful God is. Our language falls short. And so God has shown himself. Like the dog, the only way the dog can understand things is that somebody with a mightier brain should train and teach it. And God in his glory and grace has revealed who he is and his character through various ways. We know the Old Testament we know that he's done it in creation. And we know that in the events that go through our lives, we meet challenges and recognize God is in there. But our mind is still too small. He is, as the hymn says, indescribable. He is incomprehensible to us. That is, we cannot fully grasp who he is because of who we are, sinful, fallen human beings. When the early church gathered... It looked at the evidence of the Bible, and we'll look at that in a minute, and came up with a word. A guy called Tertullian used the word trinitas in Latin, from which we get the word trinity. Tri means three, unity means one, trinity, 
three in one. But some of you might say, and I've heard this in, in this church, well, isn't Jesus enough? Well, of course so. Uh, but yet, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? I'm sure if you're a believer, the answer is definitely yes. So I'm going to ask you then, do you believe what he says? Do you believe what he's told us? He said, obey my commandments. Do you believe that? Are you doing it? And one of the things he told us, uh, the very last words he said before ascending into heaven were these, all authority is given to me, therefore you go and make disciples. And we're to baptize, that's the method of entry, the, the, the way that we recognize publicly our testimonies before the world, by baptism. And Jesus said, baptize them in the name, single name, of not Jesus, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name. And this is the powerful thing that we need to understand a bit more. But let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? And the way in is, of course, through Jesus. It couldn't be otherwise. And uh, the reading we had was 1 John chapter 1. And John describes how he had heard, seen with his eyes, looked, touched. This was Jesus. But he describes him here as the word of life, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus was not born at Bethlehem. Uh, every Christmas, I have to correct that error. Jesus was with the Father before all creation. He wasn't born. He appeared, as it says, at Bethlehem in the form of a baby boy, Jesus. But the mighty Son has inhabited creation before creation, eternity, with the Father. That's what we're being told here. And when you get to John's gospel for the same reading, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it uses that term for Jesus again. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This powerful teaching, and that that very Word dwelt among us and became one in Jesus with us. And so we now could touch and feel God, as it were. We could see what God looked like in human form, but he is the mighty son. And Colossians says that Jesus was, all things were created in him, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, because all things have been created through him and indeed for him. So Jesus was there a creation. Is that right? Well, get your Bibles and go back to Genesis chapter one, and let's see, is that true? And as we read, it says these words, in the beginning, God, say the Father, created the heavens and the earth. At least that's what it seems to say. And it says that the earth was empty and so on. And it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is here in creation. The mighty power of God is making and forming the creation. So we have the Father and we have the Spirit. What says in the next verse, though, it says, God said, let there be light. The Word of God is what formed this world. 
He didn't get down in the clay and mix it and form it and fiddle with it. No, his word did it. Jesus. And in the very first three verses of the Bible, we have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ represented in this text. Well before the worlds began, there were three persons, one God. This is a very powerful thing, and our minds sometimes struggle to get around it. God is one, three in one, and is a God of relationships. And let me say this, God had infinite communion, the Father with the Son, the Holy Spirit. God had infinite companionship, fellowship, we'll call it. God had no need of getting a rhombus for a bit of company. He had no need of creating humanity, this world, the stars, the heavens, the world as we see it through a microscope or through a telescope. He wasn't short of company. And yet, and yet, he graciously created us. And do you know the marvelous thing? It says he did it us in his image. We have a mind. We have a body. We have an eternal soul. Three parts to the human nature. I wonder what that reflects. You see, God in his infiniteness has included us and brought us in and wishes through his word, through Jesus, through the Spirit, through his teachings, to show us something of his character. And when we get into the uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the word ruha or, or, or breath is constantly used in both uh, Hebrew and also the word pneuma in Greek, which means the same thing, of the Spirit's actions. But actually, the words Holy Spirit are only used three times in the Old Testament. Once in the Psalm, Psalm 51, and twice in Isaiah. And each time where the humanity had sinned and they had grieved the Holy Spirit. So you might say, well, did the Holy Spirit not exist? Not at all. Of course, that's not true. But the presence and power of the Holy Spirit was not known. In fact, if you look at John chapter 7 and verse 39... It says that Jesus was talking about rivers of water coming out, and it says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive later. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit when Jesus talked that. Up to that time, it says, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So although the Spirit is in the world all the time, he had not inhabited permanently the lives of human beings until Jesus left and sent us him as the comforter. And that tells us a little bit about the Bible. It's like a, 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 it's an unfolding, growing, increasing light as you go through from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, you see little flickers, lamps, but as you get to Revelation, you see the mighty sunshine blasts through all the way, particularly in the form and person of Jesus. The Trinity is in action all the time. And Jesus is quite clear that the Holy Spirit and he are all one with the Father. 
John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, He will give you another advocate, the Spirit of truth. And you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The Trinity then is united in us through God's Spirit. And the whole point of this that the Bible is teaching consistently throughout is that we deal with a God who is a trinity in action in every measure, in creation, but also, as we're going to see in a second or two, in our salvation, in our redemption, in our glorification, each step of the Christian life, and I'll bring it down to practical things towards the end of this sermon, are through the trinity, the powerful actions of God the Father, the Son, and His precious Holy Spirit in this world and in us. It's a powerful concept. But the focus, you see, is on Jesus. When Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in uh, chapter 16 and verse 14, He says that the Holy Spirit will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming and living within believers is that we might understand Jesus better and that we will glorify Him, not the Spirit Himself. It is an amazing truth that God works in action in Trinity in each way in His glorifying of Jesus and through that glorifying the Father. So what does this all mean? I'm going to look at what I'll call the theology of it. We use the term Trinity or three in one. Some people say, how does that work? Because surely one plus one plus one makes three. And the mathematicians amongst you will know, now you're silly, you've got your calculations the wrong way around. It's one times one, times one equals one. And it's more than one within the one to make the one. And the Bible constantly uses what we call Trinitarian formulae. That is, there are many, many verses peppered across the New Testament that bring together the actions in one for the Trinity. Let's take a look. We're going to finish this service, uh, at least the sermon anyhow, and we're going to share the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yep, got that, that's the Son. Uh, the love of God, got that, that's the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We bless and give grace. Grace comes from the full Trinity, and we must get our minds around this. In unity and fellowship, the Bible then teaches in Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, that's Jesus, one God and Father, one, one, one. That is what unites us. And the uh, amazing thing that you discover, we're called and chosen, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 2, chosen by God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So everything fits together. God works in Trinity on every occasion. And the apostles knew once they had met Him and discovered that Jesus was indeed God, Yet nowhere, and they lived in a Roman and Greek culture where there were lots of gods, you know, Apollo and Hermes and all that, 
Nowhere did the apostles ever suggest for one minute that we worship Jesus as God, uh, but there's a God up there, so we've got two gods. The culture they lived in would have quite happily accepted that, but no, they were quite firm. Jesus is God, the Father is God. And then after the resurrection, the Spirit became known in deeper fullness. And so the early church was trying to calculate this, and they tried to come up with a word for it. Now, some people object to the whole idea of the word Trinity. They say quite fondly, and they're correct, that word does not occur in the Bible. Yep, you're absolutely right, it doesn't. But then, if I might just dare to suggest, um, I think you'll find that the word theology doesn't occur in the Bible, but yet we still study God and try and learn more about Him. The word sacrament never occurs in the Bible, but yet we, we, we share communion here uh, quite often. And I'll tell you another word that doesn't occur in the Bible, the word Christianity. So, I can be confident and say, Christianity isn't in the Bible. So, why have we got churches? Well, the word church does occur. But you can see what I'm getting at, that in the early church, they had to try and bring together what the Bible said on lots of issues, and the early theologians realized that the best expression of understanding something of the glorious character of God, the personality that we, we couldn't fully fathom, was summed up in a word, weak as it is, the word Trinity. And um, the early church formed a creed. There's a creed called the Nicene Creed that says this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, the Nicene Creed. Then it says, we believe in one Lord, well, they've said one God, one Lord, Jesus Christ, only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, very God from very God. Some of those words we sing in our Christmas carols. He is clearly powerful in there. But then it says we believe in the Holy Spirit, giver of life, the Lord. That's the same title we use for Jesus and the Father, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is glorified and worshipped. Some of you may have learnt that creed when you were younger. The church was simply trying to recognize what God was telling us about himself and using weak language as best it could. You've probably noticed a little shamrock here. Many people have tried to find analogies, uh, images to represent God. Now, no image will ever work properly. But when Patrick came to Ireland as a missionary to share the good news of Jesus, he tried to explain to them how there was a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. The three leaves, yet one shamrock. Other people have looked at different images, like water. You get uh, steam, you get uh, gas, therefore you get liquid, and you get solid uh, ice. Uh, and they all fail in some ways, but they are a helpful way to try and grasp how other three-in-ones occur. I would throw one in as well. If you've read a book called The Shack, you will see an attempt to do it as well. I have to say, I've read that book. I read it about 10 years ago, and I've been a Christian quite a while, and there was a lot of it that I felt misses the mark because it actually ends up talking about three separate persons, which is actually not what the church teaches, but it does its best. And there are many ways of trying to express it. We will never get our head fully around it, ever, even after we leave this life. 
because we will forever be searching and learning more about God. And because of who He is, we will never complete that task. But why does it matter? And how can I bring this down practically? I think prayer is the most powerful thing that we are engaged in. And in approaching God, we discover that uh, the examples of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and others, share with us what prayer is about and how to pray. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Did you catch it there? The Lord Jesus Christ, glorious Father, spirit. That prayer is a full Trinitarian action. Through Jesus, it says in Ephesians 2.18, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. We're starting to understand a little bit about the dynamics of prayer. In Romans, Paul says this, chapter 8, you'll read it. By the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And in the same way, it says, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Prayer is an engagement in Trinitarian worship. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and He intercedes for us through groans without words. He searches our hearts because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What am I saying here? I'm trying to explain that when Jesus taught us how to pray, He said, this is the way you do it. Our Father. We are brought into relationship. God is our Father. We pray to the Father. But how can we approach the Father? Because our hands are soiled. If I was to offer you a beautiful chocolate in my nice hand, you might take it off. Mind you, these days with COVID, you might not. You might take it off me and enjoy it. But if I dip my hand in a sewer and then put the same chocolate, you wouldn't have it. It would be filthy. You would want that hand completely cleansed. God does that in His Son, Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we can only approach God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it is says here in Romans 8 that the Spirit is what drives us to prayer. The Spirit indeed uses words that we can't understand in our heads or our minds. He, 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 the Spirit actually brings our thoughts to God and presents us without words. Before we know it, it says the Father your heavenly Father knows what you need before you come. Prayer is an action that engages worship to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And interesting enough, nowhere, and I mean never in the Bible, New or Old Testament, does anyone pray to the Spirit. They pray in the power and through the Spirit in the name of the Son, the character of Jesus, for all He's done, to the Father. And so prayer brings the full Trinitarian action of God's character and personality into an engagement that we can have as Christian believers with Him, direct, straight from the throne of grace. It's a very powerful illustration. And you, uh, 
we'll find that if you read through, particularly the writings of the New Testament and uh, Paul in particular. So, why all the fuss? Can't we just live and let live? Unbelievers, of course, won't understand this. They can't be expected to. But when a person meets Jesus in faith, as we have done, they begin a journey and they get to know Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, we, are di we die to sin and are born again. But we're brought by the Son to the Father, and we have access to him direct. And it is in the Holy Spirit that we are able to approach, and he enables us and strengthens us to do so. He is indeed the one who convinces the world of sin and therefore brings us to Jesus in the first case. So the Trinity in action is the best proof that anyone can have its experience, and it grows. The more you grow in the Christian life, the more experience you obtain, and the more it means sense. So we should not be ignorant about the Trinity, but we need to be careful that we have a real and genuine experience of God through His Spirit, working and ministering together in fellowship, reaching out to the world in the name of Jesus, and telling this world and testifying to who He is, that they too might be brought in this powerful relationship that we have been privileged to come. And may God fashion and continue to shape us in His image, because then you will know, we will know, they will know who God really is and meet Him for themselves. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.